how fast are you at getting that blind set up, getting everything in position, decoys out, ready to shoot? Four and a half minutes. We run um, a two hub blind. It's called from Primos. They used to make that uh, that uh, double bowl T2 blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's super lightweight, super fast, super easy. It's only got two holes, you know, and we pop it up fast as we can. The dad's pack flips into a into a chair. Decoys go out, you know, strutter and a hen almost every time. That's what I run, a feeder hen and a strutter. And I got to, it's just, and then snap and we're in the blind. And usually the bird, if we popped his bubble, is in our lap in a few minutes. Hey guys, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. I've got my sidekick here with me again today, Evan Williams. And uh, we're talking to Bo Brooks again kind of uh, the turkey hunting master class, Bo Brooks turkey hunting master class uh, part two. Um, here recently, we did one where we were talking about pretty much specifically calling. And this one, we're going to talk about different tactics, different uh, in different parts of the country um, at, during different parts of the, of the season. So uh, anyway, thanks for coming on again. Brooks, how you been doing, buddy? I know you're getting ready to head out on a... Uh, on a turkey killing spree, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty excited to be back on here and uh, talk about something near and dear to me, bow hunting turkeys. <laughs> right on, right where's, on. Where's this next trip starting and how many days are you out and where are you going? I'm flying down this weekend. I'm going to go hunt with, uh, if you guys ever heard of deer meat for dinner, I'm going to go hunt with him this weekend. And then in Florida, I've already at this point got my bird in Florida, but I'm going down there just to call and have a good time. And then, and then it's like, you know, North Carolina, Kentucky, Texas, you know, I mean, we just start moving our way up through the country. So Hmm. yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny what social media has done to people? Hmm. This dude is now deer meat for dinner is a person. (laughs) (laughs) Shed crazy is a person. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. That's nuts. What state is that one in again? Florida. I'm going back to South Florida where I was a week and a half ago uh, or so. Yeah. Another Osceola. Yeah. I, I'm already tagged out, but I'm going down there and going to go call and going to film and go fishing. And it's going to be right. fun. I'm excited to go yeah. get some warm weather again. Right. Heck yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a jaunt for you being in Oregon. Um, well, I live in Kentucky now. Oh yeah, that's right. I, I I always think of you as an Oregon boy. I appreciate that. That's how yeah, I, was just, I was just like, he is, and he loves hearing that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Just out of curiosity, Bo, like I, I don't think I've ever asked you this. What overall, if tomorrow you were told, okay, uh, from here on out, you can only bow hunt one species, and um, which one would it be? That's a really good question. Um, so I'll just, I'll just put this into perspective. I like to call everything. So yeah. anything I can call, and we'll narrow it down. Anything I can call, I'm obsessed with. I love moose hunting. I love elk hunting. I love duck hunting. And I love turkey hunting. No, I meant one species of turkey. Oh, one species Osceola. of turkey. Osceola, Eastern, Merriam, Mar- Rio. It's, it's good you clarified that because yeah. when Danny asked that question, it's like not a subspecies of a species it is because you get one animal and it's Bo. you and i are very much like like mine i love anything that i can interact with and you know my number one species overall is elk and yeah i i i don't care what species we're talking across uh, across the planet elk's number one for me but uh anything that i can interact with and call back and forth to is a biggie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the turkeys go, um, which ones you're, you, you've got about as much experience chasing all five different species that we have here in the United States. Um, which one do you, which one do you really dig? So, bow hunting, like so, not, not, not shotgun hunting, but specifically for bow hunting. Miriam's a hundred percent. Uh, it's, it's, I, I mean, if I'm talking about just call, I love hunting Easterns. They're hard. Osceola is probably at the bottom of the list. Uh, Goulds are up there. Uh, yeah. Rios are fun. 
but mountain Miriams. I'm going to, so I'm clarifying, not lowland Miriams, but mountain yeah. white tip birds. I mean, they make me feel like a superstar and I feel like I'm elk hunting. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they beat decoys up. Um, they act right. They gobble a ton. And they're pro- to me the prettiest bird out there. And I'm just obsessed with Miriam. So by far a mountain Miriam. I like you more and more every day, Bo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm in the exact same boat. Because to me, it's just, it's, it's like hunting little feathered elk, you know, it's awesome. Yep. Yep. And that's what, it's awesome. That's what, um, hunting like Osceola's can be like, you know, the calling aspect can kind of be like hunting elk. Like if you're hunting them in like public or big tracks, but man, a lot of times you're deer hunting them and that's, yeah, that's, and that's the same with your lowland Easterns. You're just waiting for them to come through and you're, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of calling involved, but. I just like, I like hearing one across the canyon taking off and we throw a little rack pack that's a chair and then a blind on the back and our decoys and we go set up and it's just like, it's just run and gun turkey hunting at its finest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how, it, I do the exact same thing. You're, you're describing a, a lot of what I do. Um, yeah. How fast are you at getting that blind set up, getting everything in position, decoys out, ready to shoot? Four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes. Yep. That's pretty. That's pretty good. I. But I. I, I think Efficiency. I got you beat, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, like we, it's super important. It's like you get you get one that half the time you're just running hills trying to get one to to fire and locate and figure out where he's at, and if it happens close to you, you've got to be able to get all that stuff out. There's a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know. There is especially bow hunting, especially I, and that's what the big part of it is. We run, um, a two hub blind It's called from Primos. They used to make that, uh, that, uh, double bull T2 blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's super lightweight, super fast, super easy. It's only got two holes, you know, and we pop it up fast as we can. The dad's pack flips into a, into a chair. Um, usually I have camera equipment too, so I'm, I'm getting that all set up, but decoys go out, you know, strutter, and a hen almost every time that's what I run a feeder hen and a strutter. And I got a, it's just, and then snap and we're in the blind. And usually the bird, if we popped his bubble is in our lap in a few minutes. Not if, very long. Yeah. Yeah. Not very long. Um, yeah, that, that, that old T2 blind, I've got one of the, one of the old double bull yeah. original versions around here somewhere dude that's a mm-hmm. that's a really cool blind your dad's using that what was that pack called the rack pack or what was it magnus pack the pack, rack pack pack rack. yeah it's it that. Like yeah magnus it was it was the magnus at a, at a great band in kansas yeah. and it's yeah it's, it's great man i i mean dad and i you know what you think of with bow hunting you think of a lot of times people think of sitting in a field with their blind their big blind they've had set up and they wait and they got the decoy out we, I mean, dad and I walk in six miles behind a gate or we ride our bikes in deep. I mean, it could be six miles. It could be 50 yards from the truck, but it's still all for the most part, running, gunning, you know? Right. And so that's as far as mountain birds go. And that's why I'm so obsessed with it. This is, it's just like elk hunting, except for, you know, we, and we could, and could we get them without a blind? Absolutely. You get a few, yep. but yep. having the blind for me, archery hunting, not, you know, the shotgun hunting, but archery hunting increases the overall, you know, just quality of the hunt. They get to come yeah. in, they rut, they get, then you don't have to worry about like freaking out about when you're going to draw your bow. Mm-hmm. You can draw your bow, lean into the window. I mean, yeah. I don't have any problem whatsoever with it when we're bow hunting. It's awesome. Yeah. You get to enjoy the show a whole lot more. And you do, you can let them sit there and beat the decoy up if you want. You can shoot them as soon as they step in, but with a bow, and such a small spot to shoot a turkey, you need to be taking an ethical shot and you need to be shooting them at 10 to 20 yards. I mean, past that, you, your odds of connecting correctly go down, and in my opinion, tremendously. Mm-hmm. The, the guy that kind of taught me, well, he, I wouldn't say he taught me, but he gave me a lot of ideas on this style. Um, me and Brooks Johnson, hunted with the guy who invented that pack oh, and yeah. gave the idea to Magnus Lance Urholst 
and okay. he lives in Western South Dakota. And this is, gosh, man, I think I hunted with, I hunted with him in around 2005 or something like that. I, I killed my first turkey with a recurve with him. And yeah. he was, he, he had that pack that your dad is using. It was a prototype. It was before Magnus ever got a hold of it or anything like that. And that guy could have, he'd be going through the Black Hills calling. Yeah. Yeah. And he Thanks. could have that, he could have his blind off of his pack popped up decoys out in front throw the blind back off of him sitting down in that pack and everything in 60 seconds oh my god 60 seconds he could have it he he, he had it done and that's always been my goal like i want to be as close to 60 seconds as i can be you know and it's it's doable it's yep. you, it takes practice you that's can't tough. wait till you hear a gobble and then decide you know how you're how you're going to try and do this you know you got to know exactly yep. what to do yeah, mm -hmm. so. totally scramble. That that thing is. That, if you're a bow hunter, you like to hunt turkeys. I don't care if you're in a field, you're in the mountains, anything. Having that pack rack is a game changer. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool pack. Um, so I got us way off track. Sorry about that, boys, but I've, I'm guilty of doing that plenty of times. So good little go. What do we want to talk about first? We want to talk about like early season, kind of the beginning of the turkey. I like to call it the turkey rut. Well, and and once and, again, because I'm stuck in elk hunting you know in in my mind there's three different parts to the season but again i don't have the experience nearly that you guys do so bo when you look at the spring turkey season in general how would you break that down into different sections, time frames different, different time different frames? parts of the of the turkey rut okay. um there's a few of them and i've learned for, there's and, and it depends when your season opens. So down mm -hmm. south, it opens early, 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 early. So you're getting stuff that uh, us northern hunters don't get where they're doing the pecking order stuff. And so mm -hmm. they'll be two-year-olds. They're not gobbling as much. But, I mean, but by the time our season comes in up north, like turkeys in Oregon have been strutting since, Jan like, early January. Mm -hmm. so they're strutting and gobbling. They're going. Um, they're They're – I think that it's that there's an early time where you can call them in. They're not, not goblin. They're coming in quiet. They're in those big winter flocks. Mm -hmm. You know, as the season goes on, they start breaking up and they're still in small winter flocks. So a Tom, maybe two or three Toms, which your satellite, like an elk hunter satellite mm -hmm. Tom running around mm -hmm. it and a few hens. And usually that comes with warmth. You know what I mean? Yeah. So with the, with the weather change, with the weather change, it doesn't matter if you're in the bottom at the top, just getting some warm weather puts these birds into the mood. Um, and so they start dispersing. And then my favorite part of the season comes along, and it's the breakup stage, the true breakup stage, where the hens will leave the toms, and he starts becoming vulnerable all by himself. And down south, it could it's really hard to tell because they're such a – is already warm, you know. It could happen first weekend, and it could happen – later in the season they're not they're not flocked up like they are in in the west like as tight and as no. big a groups no and they aren't and they and they i mean and the other part of easterns and osseo they shut down where our mountain birds just get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter mm -hmm. and hotter until the end of the season very few times do i see our mountain birds shut down like the last weekend they're still gobbling but right. these turkeys here it gets to 85 degrees like even in kentucky they're done. They'll shut right. down. They'll quit strutting. They'll quit gobbling, and you'll see that that change. And it's really hard to. So you got to capitalize on those opportunities. And luckily for us, we don't get super hot out west. You know what I mean? During right. that time, it's still it's it's honestly just if you get a hot day, it's just gonna put them in the mood harder. You know. Right. So, right. Um, I'm sorry if I went too deep into that, but no, I, no, that I, I mean that clarifies a, a lot you know I, I i've noticed a lot of things over the over the years too and you you described a lot of it exactly the way that i see it um and you know i i, I don't have as much experience with eastern birds as you do um you know i've i've done quite a bit of eastern hunting in the midwest but i really haven't gone as far east as kentucky even you know i've never yeah. killed an Osceola yet um yeah. and uh i you know it's 
things are bound to be just what I've seen in the Midwest with Easterns. It's way different than it is with, uh, with Miriam's and Rio's out this way. Yeah. There's a lot of turkeys. I mean, that's going to be honest with you. There may be a lot of turkeys congregated in the West, Mm -hmm. but out here, out East, there's just a lot of turkeys. I mean, there are, there's not very many places like out West where I can like, I'm just going to take off walking, not knowing where a bird is and just hope I strike one up. Right. There's very few places I can do that. Um, there is some, you know, and they're usually around residential stuff, you know, down low, you know, right. like Western Oregon, Western, Western Oregon, California, you can kind of do that. But you start talking about Idaho, Canada, not Wyoming. Wyoming's just got too many turkeys. But, um, <laughs> but uh, like, you know, you, you got it. You got you know, Colorado even, you know, you can, you, a lot of times you got to be able to move and be willing to move around to find these birds and get on them. Where in the South, I can take off walking. I guarantee you, during during the, during the time that they're gobbling their heads off, I can find a piece of public. They may not gobble, but there is turkeys in that thing at right. some capacity. And if right. I get a permission on a piece of property that's over 100 something acres, there's a pretty good chance there's going to be at least one tom on that bad boy. Okay. So. Well, and that it, that makes a lot of sense because it, out here in the West, there you, you might have a series of six ridges in the first four ridges doesn't have a single turkey on it yeah. exactly and it won't ever that's right and, and and that i say i won't ever there's a lot that don't ever but you got to be willing to check them all too that's a, mm-hmm. that's the thing because these turkeys yeah. move so much out west could they could be and they're in different stages going up the mountains so you might find them at this stage you may think oh they're not above this stage because there's snow right here but that's just blocking the road the top right. could be off already yeah. so right do you find Brooks that across the board, or I, I keep calling you Brooks. I want to call you Brooks. Like I was talking about Brooks Johnson and I are buddies. And yeah. anyway, Bo, um, and do you find that um, some of the, how, how it kind of drops off? I noticed that too. It, when it gets hotter days, you've got a, a concentrated time during the morning where things are good and then they go into what i call their midday lull where they're just man we're gonna find a shade tree and we're gonna we're gonna lay up but later in the season not only is it getting hotter but also you've got birds that have been beat up a little bit you know they've been fighting and i've i've personally watched a turkey fight that went to the death you know where one turkey spurred another one to yeah. death you know um and you know these a lot of times those later season birds when you when we've taken them and we go to uh to breast them out and stuff like that we find big old gouges in them where they've been they've been spurred and you know they're bruised up you know um do you do you feel like the fighting and the rutting so to speak um it definitely gets it to where they're not as aggressive later in the season contributes to it it depends where i'm at it depends where i'm at because um because like if you take that dominant bird off of a place that's beating everyone up and they have mm-hmm. a few days without him they'll mm-hmm. act and if you leave him on there and he gets butt whooped every day and he's scared of him act different and a lot of times i see it with easterns i'll be honest with you the easterns or the lowland birds that are all together getting their butt whipped you'll see the pecking order the mountain birds they go a week and a half without seeing another turkey pecking order goes away the first time right. they come around the corner and they see a tom decoy and they go <gasps> in the hand he's like i'll do anything get on that that bird but absolutely i agree with you uh you know these these birds that are down lower and they're all together and then they start breaking up but they're still seeing each other yeah they absolutely get get weird so. yeah yeah harder to and there's there's certain times where uh, once I have a bird that comes in a couple of different times, and if I am using a male bird in my, in my decoy setup yeah. and I have a bird that comes in, takes a peek at the decoys and shies away. Yeah. A lot of people think that that is a, uh, a, a decoy shy bird where yeah. a lot of times I feel like it's just a guy that do- he doesn't want to come into a male bird period. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be a Jake. It could be a Tom. I mean, they, they freak out on whatever they've gotten beat up on. Yeah. Yeah. And- so, and there's, and a lot of times with those turkeys, I don't even hunt them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it kind of sucks because, and it depends if you've got other turkeys to hunt right around there, then fine, go out after them. But some situations out here, 
that depending upon how big the property is or or <laughs> anything else you you might have to try and find a way to kill that turkey you know that's the situation way. i ran into last year trying it is i mean i was on a spot that was 160 acres and i could find one tom on that entire place and i tried hen setups strutter with a hen um three-quarter strut jake with a hen he did not want anything to do with anything he had been beat up and just demolished morally in that season and wanted nothing to do with it he would call and respond and he was never closing the distance and if you happen to get set up where he was traveling he'd take one look and he would skirt 120 yards all the way out and around you and go about his merry way Mm. the best best way to to uh kill a bird like that is deer hunt a man yeah and I, I would say use a hen decoy, but the problem I find with just a hen decoy, especially bow hunting, is they usually not used. A lot of times for me, they stop at like 30, 40 yards. And they gobble. Back and forth and gobble because that's the natural order. You come to me. Yep. And so it's, I have a really tough, tough time bow hunting with just hen decoys. I've done it. We've done done well with it before. I've had a lot of times, and I learned this a few, year, a few years ago with dad, and dad and I, like let's just keep trying to use the hen decoy and we used one or two hens and they just would never fully commit right come into the setup mm-hmm. yeah and so yeah and we got a few that way but it was it was a good learning experience for me at least and then the best thing i could say if you get a bird like that pull the decoys put, totally pull the decoys get him to get roost him the night before and get in his way if he's going some way learn the bird get in his way and i mean even I first thing I would try though is to get in his way with a hen decoy. I mean, I without calling, just let him come do his thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to get him, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, there we could go down a million different ways to skin a cat here. But you got to be right. willing. It's, being a turkey hunter, you got to learn to try different things and figure out what works for you. So. Yeah. Um. So, beginning of the season. Bo, like, uh, how do your tactics change as the season goes on? Why don't you describe kind of how you approach things toward the beginning of the season and and how they evolve as it as it goes on? So, beginning of the season, I do a lot more deer hunting. If I if I'll be honest with you, um, is usually the birds are together. You know, they're all. And they don't usually care about the calling as much. Um, I want to, it's a lot of times, especially Easterns and Osceola's, they hit the ground, shut up. And then okay. you got to be willing to wait and be willing to get in their way and just, I mean, that's what I do. I sit down, I wait, then 9 a.m. comes around and they may lose their hens and sometimes they won't. And it's, it's kind of a, it's not my favorite way to hunt turkeys at all. I don't like hunting turkeys that way, but. It's something you got to do if you want to be successful early, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if I go farther north, it changes for me. So even with the Easterns, if I'm hunting farther north, I'm a little bit more aggressive with the birds. You know, mm-hmm. I'm willing to go run and gun and try and get in the middle of them and goblin and such because I there's birds that, for me, act better. I mean, honestly, they just act better early. And so being willing to – do that and and get in the middle of them especially on public land just trying to push the bubble because you're going to be dealing with other people you know mm-hmm. it's huge mm-hmm. so if if i had to close on that early season don't be afraid to pattern the birds put your work in beforehand um and get in their way be a woodsman so uh, when when you do start playing a larger group like that you're, you're getting in their way what are we looking at as far as a decoy setup? And, and is your decoy setup changing as we go through these stages of the season? It depends on what the bird is. So if I got a big, big roper, Tom, I know he's the dominant bird. I'm still going to run a strutter. A lot of people won't run a strutter early, but I will. Um, if I'm hunting two-year-olds, yeah, I'm going to probably run a Jake. Then, uh, but the Jake decoy, you got to, you got to watch it because if the jakes are beaten up, if you see a group of jakes out there beating up that tom, you're going to scare a lot of birds off. Yeah. 
So yeah. sometimes I, a, a lot of times what I do is I save, I save, like say I've had a few clients or young kids that have shot Jake's. I save that fan for that early season stuff. And even later, I just, I like to run a small fan. It has a jog, a little jog in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my, and our, like our strutter is real small. You know, it's, it's half the size of a normal Turkey. It's like 3.2 pounds. And so right. it's really small. And we like to, we like to, I like to just get in their way, put a bunch of hens out and usually he'll come running in and beat it up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause do you feel like, that, a, Oh, go, go ahead, Evan. I would say just that, that body is so small with that immature fan on it that even a bird that has been pecked out a little bit, he feels more confident in coming in because of that. Yeah. yeah. If, if he, if we got a big dominant bird on the property, I get a little more scared if I'm planning on hunting the other birds, mm-hmm. I just play it safe with the Jake. You know what I mean? But the big Tom, the big Tom, if you know, he's the roper, I mean, if you can get him within a hundred yards to 60 yards of your decoy, there's a very good chance he's going to peel right out of it and he's going to show you what's up and it's going to make your turkey hunting on that property better for the year as well. Yep. Right. If so. you can get that dominant one killed right off the bat. Yep. Exactly. Do you feel like an older dominant bird like that really knows the difference between a Jake fan and a, and, and a full, uh, a, a full a mature fan? And for those of you that don't know the difference, um, because I'm sure there's a few that are like, what are you talking about? A, a mature turkey, when they, when they fan that tail fan, it's a perfect semicircle and all the feathers are about the same length and the band that goes around it is all even a Jake, um, that was, that was born last spring, his middle, what four feathers or five feathers, bow. Um, those are like two or three inches, couple of inches longer than the feathers on the outside of the fan. And they make like a little jog in the middle of it. And for us hunters, we look at a, a bird that's strutting out there in the middle of the field. We can immediately tell if that's Jake or not. Do you think that the turkeys can actually tell a difference? I, I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I'd like to think so. And, um, I've, I've had more success running a smaller fan, like a big fan. It's big. It looks, yeah. big, you know, and so I, I do. I do. I think they know the difference. Sometimes no, and sometimes yes. To me, I I just try to throw all every all the eggs in my basket. You know what I mean? Right. So I feel, mm-hmm. feel more confident with it. And so right. Honestly, confidence is key. <laughs> if you're confident with a Jake decoy, run a Jake decoy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen plenty of birds shy off of the strutter. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of birds out there that shy off the thing, but dominant birds or in, in, the, in a, any dominant bird in the area is going to come in and show them what's up. Yeah. And I've had so many guys, I, I, I've run into turkey hunters that are just completely against using a strutting tom. Yeah. And, you know, they won't do it because they feel like they scare too many birds off and everything. But to me, the reaction that you get when you do find the right bird Mm-hmm. or the or or a, a couple that are running together like that reaction is worth it to me to scare a few solo bird or you know solo toms off you know what i mean this is the thing when you're hunting those solo birds and it doesn't come into a strutter guess what go out there and hunt them with the jake yeah i mean mm-hmm. who, who cares i mean yep. and they i want i want my turkeys that come in i'm not a big fan of them walking in redhead like dull redheaded and just walking in, not strutting, and he comes in, he's like, oh, hey. I mean, I like it when they come across the field, either full strut or they can't even get into strut because they're coming so fast mm-hmm. and so hard. I mean, get that, and get the- that mean walk coming in when they're jogging. What yep. you just said reminds me, if it, I, I want to continue to cover how you transition during the season, but you just talked about a very important thing, the redhead and Head reading color. turkey body language. Mm-hmm. So if we remember before we get off of this thing, let's try and talk a little bit about Turkey body language. Cause there's a lot of guys that unless they've been Turkey hunting for a long time, they don't realize that they don't, they don't recognize those signs. Oh yeah. We need to talk about the bowling ball. Yeah. But, uh, that no man, I, 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 there's a million ways and I can't say it's enough, a million ways to skin a cat, but mm-hmm. I've had so much success with the strutter and I've had so much success with the Jake and I, if I, if you take anything away from this, run a male bird. Yeah. 
if you're going to run decoys, run some sort of male bird. Because it almost forces that bird that you're after to commit or to leave. Because, because like we've, we've mentioned both in, in the last podcast with Colin and this one, the natural tendency is for that male bird to come to a point where he is visible and to let the hens come to him. So if you run all females, like that goes against the natural order of how that is supposed to work. Yep. Yep. And, no, they, and hens, hens don't, hens do, toms do not go to hens. I mean, so that's what you'll hear it so many times. You get out there and start calling and you hear, you hear, cow, cow, and it's scary. You've got to watch how much you get these birds to gobble. If you know there's hens around, because if he starts gobbling like crazy, you hear, and it's over. All of a sudden you hear her running and she's there. I've, mm. this is honestly, I've done this before and it's worked for me. A little pro tip. If you're in between that Tom and that hen, get out of the blind and bust her out the other way. I've killed so many turkeys. You wouldn't think, and I call over her when she starts putting. I've run after so her. Clarify that, clarify that just a little bit. So, so I got a hen. She's coming. I hear her say my back right shoulder. My Tom's okay. over my hill, and he's gobbling his head off. And she starts yelping like crazy, and I know right where she's at. I see her. I will literally get out of the blind, stand straight up, and run at her and bust her up to go the other way. Get her and out of there. Get her out of there. Because right. now, now you are the dominant hen. Yep. And, yep. and she, it, it's just over. If she gets past you to that, Tom, it is over. I right. mean, for the, for the day. And so you can't do it in every situation. I mean, it, but, I mean, you'll hear different stories of people that bust out the hens on accident in the roost. Mm -hmm. They'll roost in this tree and they end up killing the bird. So, I mean, don't do it every single time, but if you think you can get away with it and that Tom's over that hill, get out, bust her out, and keep calling over the top of her mm -hmm. so that she, so, so that the Tom doesn't hear her. Interesting. I'd never, I'd never heard that tactic before, but uh, so is there ever, uh, there's another subject that I know guys that completely stay away from it, gobbling with your calls at all. Do you ever gobble to uh, at a hen to try and bring the hen? No. Never? No, I've never done it. Um, we do gobble at the Tom. Sometimes it works really well with the Easterns. Yeah. Miriam's, I can Miriam gobble better. I, I, I sound just like a Miriam or a Rio. They just do not like it for some reason. I've, I've had it a few times where it worked, but no. I just, I've seen it both ways. I've, I've, yeah. I honestly have. Um, I've, I've seen it both ways to where we, they immediately turn and leave. And then we've also, um, we've also used it as a last resort when we have some that come in and don't want to commit and they start to leave. And I have had a gobble turn those birds around and have them come right into the setup. So I, um, agree that. I that's my, that's how I use it always. A last resort. And it's, it's worked for me or it doesn't work. It just, it, it's, but it's not something that I'm going to jump right to. Right. Off right. The don't. Right. I, I'm scared to use it. Um, I have so many other grab bag tactics that I can use before I get to that point mm -hmm. that I want to buy on that Tom because that's a make or break deal. And I also don't feel like I sound good enough. <laughs> even, mm -hmm. even at that point, I still don't feel good enough to where I'm like, I'm just going to sound like a Tom goblin right here right. You know, with the hand. What, what about using a gobble as a locator? It works. I've done it a few times and it, they gobble to it about every time. Um, and like I said, again, Easterns, they, they get Eastern and Osceola's, they, they cut fire back at it really well. Mm -hmm. Miriam's gobble at everything. So, you know what I mean? I just, I just, I, a lot of times I'm Raven calling. And so I don't make any turkey sounds on a Miriam or a Rio until I get there. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm getting us off, off track again. So after the, after the initial stage of the season, and let's say that we get up, to the breakup stage and that breakup stage when those hens start leaving toms uh that bo was talking about earlier um a, lo a lot of times that's that's when they're first starting to go out and try and find their where they want to nest and mm -hmm. they might have been bred a couple of times and they're starting to they're starting to lay um and how does your how does your tactic change once that once that time comes in nine to two 
Nine to two. Nine to two. Don't be afraid to wait. Nine right. to two. If you can find now that, one by himself, that doesn't mean neglect the off the roost time, does it? No, nope, no. Nope. I mean, you're gonna. There's gonna be some that don't care about their hens. Yeah. Right off, right off the bat, they don't care about them anymore. Or the hen. But a lot of times, that nine to two o'clock time is. It just means day. you're gonna have a long day starting about that time. Yep. 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 <laughs> I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of days I don't even wake up though. I mean, honestly, I just go <laughs> wait. Yeah. A little bit later in the morning, and go out there, and I mean, it's that being said though, get in the good spot. You know, if they don't come right off the bat, doesn't mean it's over. If right. you're sitting over there and you, I've had so many times that it's like the snap of the finger, that sun comes out, the hen leaves him, and I've watched them do it. They when the hens leave the toms, it's crazy. All of a sudden they just go poof, they all just poof, they run off yeah. from him. they're gone. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he will turn into another animal. Completely right. of the bird that was not gobbling on the limb a little bit ago is now tripping on himself, gobbling one, two, three, four times in a row. And he's usually in your lap. So, so, so do you find if you're in a good spot in the morning and they don't come down to you, let's say they, they fly out the opposite direction and a couple hours later, those hens start to move off, but you have made some very small, soft calls through that morning just to remind him that potentially you're over there that he, circles back around to check that out do you think they have that kind of memory or it's just turkeys do not forget where you're at um miriam's and rio's have a small attention span though they may remember where you're at and there's a lot of times you'll walk off and they'll be standing right where you were Mm -hmm. but like easterns you yelp at them one time from that spot it's in their brain and eventually they'll be standing right where you were Yep, and that's um, that. But I, I mean, yeah, no, you're totally right. I think that they don't forget. Do I get back on these Merriams though? Especially if they haven't been pressured. Yeah, I'm gonna get get after them because they're they're you got to be on them because they just forget. If they've been pressured though, I've I've noticed that Merriams they act a little bit more like an Eastern and they don't gobble as much and they're you know they they'll come in silent and such. But that's that's a that's a totally different subject. So, right, gotcha. you know, I I don't I don't think that the Miriams forget. Like you said, I think that they have a shorter attention span. And I I've had some some hunts where we were using a, a strutting tom decoy. Had a bird that wasn't going to come into the strutter. He comes in, gets to that forty yard mark, sees the str- strutter, does a. 60 70 yard circle all the way around us gobbling the entire time looking for this hen that he hears and trying to stay away from that strutting bird and goes back to where he came from and an hour later without us calling or anything comes in and does the same circle again looking still looking for that same hen you know um it, and you know he wasn't going to come over because we had that strutting tom out in front of us and he was just chicken and um, anyway, uh, I, I think that they remember, but like you said, I think that they, they just have a shorter attention span. 100%. 100%. Yeah. They're like, oh man, there's bugs over here. And they, <laughs> by the time, by the time they get over there, they're like, oh, I'm over the top of the next mountain. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Too far away to even hear you. And you're like, oh, and then, and then just get on the next ridge and all of a sudden they're in your lap. So, yeah. So, and I, Speaking of bugs, I love finding fields full of ticks. My wife won't hunt. No, I don't. <laughs> I had I had the what best happened? hunts a couple of years ago. It was a it was a tilled field that they were going to do a fall crop in. So he had tilled and was starting to prep it and turning everything over. There was ticks everywhere, and it was. It was horrible to hunt in, but that place loaded up with birds like you wouldn't believe because of the the availability and the abundance of a good quality food source. And I think we ended up taking seven birds off that field between four of us. So having having two birds apiece, and I think we filled all but one tag in like two days. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yuck. Yeah, the aftermath was not but 
long as they're not seed ticks. As long as they're not seed ticks. Oh, man. Yeah. They're miserable. Okay. So during that, uh, during that initial breakup phase, really concentrate in the middle of the day. Make sure that you're, you're out there and you're not going back for lunch and taking your midday nap. So once we are into the later season, um, the, the, the end of the season, what, uh, it, it, my experience is, and this is just, this is just mine. I always felt like those toms aren't as aggressive that time of year. You, you might have a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I'm much more likely to start pulling my, my strutting Tom out of there and going to, a, a, a subordinate Jake decoy, uh, with a hen. I agree with you a hundred percent. 95% of the time I want a male bird in my setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, very, unless I, I, I get a, uh, uh, a, a bird that has a, that has come in and skirted me several times. That's the only time I might consider pulling the male bird, but, um, I'll go to a less intimidating setup in the, into the end of the season because I feel like it's harder to find a bird that is willing to come in and, and go chest to chest with a strutter. Now that's just my experience. What's, what's yours, Bo? Um, I'm a, I'm a late season guy, man. That's just, you like it. I love it. It's my favorite time to hunt. I wait to go hunt it. Uh, my favorite time to hunt is May. Um, okay. and there is a sub time within that late season. I call it the let's go phase. Okay. That's usually when I'll get, well, I'll watch, 15 to 20 birds get harvested in a week. You know what really? I mean? Really? Oh, okay. it's incredible. But it's because none of them have hens anymore. Okay. They, I'm like, okay, he's right here. Let's get him in the morning. I got him over here. We'll go get him, and him, and him, and him, and him. You know what I mean? Then you're going along, walking along, you yelp on a box call. They're just ready to go. I, some of these other states, like the lowland birds, they, if, when it gets later, they shut down, like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But like the mountain birds out west, like, the longer they go without having a hen, because I mean, I hear them into June out there, you know, when I'm out there working on fence. And so that's my, to me, that's my favorite time to hunt them. And everybody's usually done by then. So I have the whole woods to myself mm-hmm. and all these birds that are really smart, old birds that have hens all season, they lose them then. And so you have a hen, you have a decoy they come running in usually, and, you know, those, a lot of times those two-year-olds are the ones getting shot early. You know what I mean? Because they, the, the big birds have hens through the whole season. So the, the birds that are ready to rock the old birds are very vulnerable. Let me give you a scenario. Like last year, we had a bird we nicknamed John Holmes. <laughs> and he, uh, he, was an older, he was an older bird. I want, I'm not going to call him a dominant bird because he wasn't, he wasn't real quick to come running in on a male decoy. But when it got to the later part of the season, God, he, with a shotgun, we'd have killed him. You know, if we didn't necessarily have a hard time getting him to come take a peek, you know, and he might come in at 35 and peek out of the, out of the brush. And, you know, I'm not usually shooting turkeys with a bow at that kind of distance you know i want them in i want them to come in and and do their thing you know i'm in it for the experience we could not get that bird to come in and do his thing and and we hunted him quite a bit you know um he would come in he would take a peek and he wasn't going to come into the uh, to a decoy setup and i don't care what kind of decoy setup it was it was colorado it was colorado and it wasn't a mountain bird it was a, it was Evan river bottom Rio, essentially. River yeah, bottom. it was, it was basically a, a, a river bottom bird. Um, but I find that a lot. I find that a lot in the later season and, and you know, where they, where if I was hunting them with a shotgun, yeah, I'd be harvesting a lot during that later season. But I, it's, I, it seems to me like I'm, it's less frequent that I get them to come in and do their thing, actually make contact with decoys instead of staying back there at a, at, at a distance and hanging up a little bit. And sometimes we're able to kill them because they hang up at 20 yards, 
You know what I mean? But there, it, my experience has just been, I have a harder time getting them to come in and actually make contact with a bird. And I've always told my hunters and everybody else, if they're going to come into your decoy setup, wait. And if they're going to come all the way in, wait till they make some kind of contact, a wing slap with that, with that Jake that you have out there or whatever. Once they make contact, I feel like I can do jumping jacks in the blind mm-hmm. because they are focused like a boxer in a ring, but I can't get them to come make that contact later, later in the season, a lot of times. And it might be something I'm doing wrong. So what's your opinion? I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I, I, um, the lower, lower land birds later in the season can be tough. Um, but they also could be tough earlier. You know what I mean? Um, getting, if you can get the hens, I'm going to jump back to early season, get the hens to walk through your decoys. It's over. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Yeah. If that late in the season, if this is the first, first, he hasn't had a hand in four or five days at all. And he sees a strutter. Usually for me, they just, it's like, that's when I have the fastest, meanest turkeys come in for me. Mm. When they run across a mile long field, dead sprint running is late. Right. But that's just me. And I, I, that's, it's, it's everywhere you go is so different. And like I said, the Easterns, they shut down then. I mean, they don't, it's not even the fact you couldn't even hunt them with a shotgun. When they get too right. late, they right. just don't bubble. They just won't do anything. And so, um, I like I said, the late season let's go phase is what I call it, is my favorite. And then they start to drop off. The let's go phase out west in the mountains for me is all the way till May 31st. But okay. down the lowlands, like down in, I call it Western Oregon, Roseburg, like the turkey capital is probably more turkeys than I've seen about anywhere. They shut down. It's too warm. They're not going up the mountains. They there's only a few days there where they don't have hens because they'll have hens way late. Mm-hmm. There's only a few days there they don't have hens and they'll act not good. So, well, you just mentioned a situation that uh, I, I feel like guys could get uh, some really good advice from you on a turkey that will not gobble, regardless of what time of year it is. I, we've all run into it where we know that there's a bird there. John Holmes was one of them. <laughs> he won't. He wouldn't gobble. Okay. Um, when you are hunting a bird that you know is around and you can't get him to gobble, how do you get, and he just really doesn't gobble much except for when he's up on a limb. How do you usually approach it? What's your, what's your go-to tactic for that? Patience, man. Patience, 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 patience. Just sit down, wait, listen, could be in the morning. I mean, I wouldn't be afraid to hunt him all day, but be in his zone. So it has a lot to do with your scouting. Do you see him in the field midday? You know, probably be in the field midday. And don't yelp at him like crazy. Just just real quiet and and getting his way on the on the way back to the roost. You know, he's going. You know, he's going to be roosting right there in this field. He goes to fly, um, and because you've heard him gobble there a few times now. Set up, wait, be visible with your decoy. Mm-hmm. You know. And just be, I mean, there's a lot of birds that don't gobble. I mean, Easterns don't gobble in the afternoon for the most part, especially if you're hunting with a bow. Right. You know, you can't get in their bubble. They just – so being willing to put the time in and wait is – bow hunting's different uh, than shotgun hunting. You know what I mean? It's it's a different game. It's hard. It's really, really hard. you got to be willing to put the time in to get a 10-yard shot at a turkey. You know? Right. Right. Is is that kind of where you think your sweet spot is with your decoys? What, as far as distance from your blind, do you do you like those decoys at ten yards, and you're going to get them to commit there? Um, do you thirteen steps? Thirteen steps. I walk it off every day, um, and that's where I want to be. I never put them further than that. I never put them closer than that for the most part. Um, I've had a few times where I put them a little farther, fifteen yards. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's not much more. Because of visibility, usually. Yeah, just visibility. I don't. Yeah. My dad and I and my dad, he's the one that he shoots a lot of turkeys with a bow. And I call them in usually. And that's what I found for me. I just like that spot. It's an ethical spot. You get past that, shooting a dime is not very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty tough deal. And so just being... Just un, that's it, I put that in my head. I just I found the sweet spot for me is thirteen yards, thirteen steps. And are you are you facing those decoys at you in the blind? Always, a, away from the bird. So 
like what it. if what if you know he's coming in from your right? Are you facing him? Same thing. Like you want to make sure that wherever he's coming in from, he's coming in on the backside of that set. Yeah, and so and so you also got to kind of think about your shot. So if I was just hunting and I want to get a bird in the decoys, I like to face it away. Best case scenario. But if you're thinking about you want a shot where he's facing away from you, you got to face the decoy towards you. Towards you. Yeah. If you want to shoot a broadside shot, you face it to the side. If you want a straight on shot, put it angled away uh, away from you. And so the bird is always going to face the decoy. He'll walk around after you give him time sometimes and get around it and stuff. But I really like that. I really like for dad, especially, I like a, I like to put it at an angle facing towards the blind. So dad gets a, with that bird moving around the decoy, he gets a nice broadside shot. Mm-hmm. And we call it the bronze patch. Dad shot him in the chest. I've shot him in the chest. We shot him, you know, in the butthole. We shot him. I mean, we shot him everywhere. The best shot for us is called, we call it the bronze patches on the wing. It's, um, it would be like their secondaries. It's right. And you see, you have, and you use their legs for me. Like I use their legs to see where they're quartering. So you like okay. to line it up with that back leg. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing where to aim on a turkey with a bow, if you're taking a body shot, completely different if you're doing headshots with a, with a bullhead or something like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, Knowing where to aim on that body is tough because their body morphs. It, it changes positions. And when they go into strut and things like that, uh, a lot of times that kind of, they've kind of got a football shaped body and yeah. that football is at different angles in yeah. when they're in uh, a feeding position or an upright position alert or in a strut position. And you got to know where that is. And, you know, everybody's, I know exactly what bronze patch you're talking about. If they're perfectly broadside, that's, man, that's exactly where you want to hit them. I, I tell people that I'm guiding usually, um, to aim two thirds of the way up the body, you know, divide the body into, into thirds aim two thirds of the way up the body. And if you can see both legs, try and put the arrow between them. Mm -hmm. If you can't see both legs just aim just a hair right in front of it um and and two-thirds of the way up the body and you ought to be good you'll watch them die if you hit them in that spot but it's it's hard to tell what you're looking at on them sometimes Mm -hmm. they got a when they're strutting too they've got a a deal in the front of them that fills up with air there's a big part of it you think he's big yeah he's not he's pushing out air and it's like a basketball on the front yeah and his crop and so that's why we just have always said we, it took us years to get to this point with the bronze patch because the bronze patch, if he's quartering a little bit, you see where his leg is, and that bronze patch gets you on the right height. Yeah, so, yep. So that's just why we've always used it that way. Um, I shot him straight on and had great luck, right on the edge of the beard. Mm-hmm. You know, right at the waddles. Yeah, yeah, just be, just below the waddles. Below them. Below yep. them. You don't want to get too high because you're going to get you're going yeah. to get. I call it a haircut. Put it right through there back feathers there but um we could go on for days about shot yeah it's, it's really tough if i i mean if you can find a way to make one of those magnus bullheads shoot for you probably try and do it i can't but uh it's it's, most- it, it's i'll say this it's something that every bow hunter should do once like because when you do it it's like whoa that was the, i remember i've i think i was the first person to ever write a story about using a, um, uh, a, a guillotine, mm-hmm. but way before the bullhead. And, uh, you know, I hunted with Matt Futuray that came out with that thing. And he, the first time I did it, I thought I'm going to do it this way from now on. And then, you know, uh, like a year later, I hit one square in the body that would have been dead. And that thing bounced off of it and mm-hmm. missed a couple that moved their head at the last minute. And I went back to shooting them in the body, but everybody ought to have the experience once yeah. like that's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> a four, four inch feather and just do yourself a favor and do a 90 degree four fletch. And that's the best place to start for running a guillotine or a, again, um, I'm a fan of the bullhead. It's built in Kansas. Um, I think they fly better. It's a three blade instead of a four, but that's yeah. my preference. But yeah, four, four inch feather and four of them on a really good helical. 
it's impressive when it happens. Mm -hmm. most, I think it's probably one of the most uh, ethical ways to yeah. hunt, a, yep. hunt a turkey because you can put it through the spot sometimes. Out of every animal I've ever hunted, anything they are the toughest animal. I mean, mm -hmm. like with with the, with a bow, they can they can take a beating. You may put it right through the right through the spot, and they fly over a cliff. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. just, it's, it's so easy to. That they're so tough. I mean, they can go a long ways. So just, I mean, I, I think that I, I think it's understanding where to shoot. Using a bullhead is a great way to do it. Um, if you can find a way to get them to fly right, Dad and I've shot them, and it, a lot for us, they look like it's like I videoed it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They get farther than ten yards. They're all over the place. But uh, that said, I mean, it's very ethical. So. Yeah. Yeah. So before we, uh, before we forget, let's talk a little bit about body language. Okay. Um, and let's say that a guy, you know, has a Tom, uh, and, and he's coming and you're first catching sight of him out there, at, you know, 30 yards, he breaks the brush. He sees your decoys. He's coming toward him. Um, it, let's talk about the, the different colors of the head. Let's yeah. talk about the body language and whether they're in strut or not. When they get into the into the decoy set or close, how to tell whether uh oh something's something's up? It, it's about to be over, and you better shoot him now. You know what I mean? There's different cues for all of that. So break uh, break that down for people a little bit, Bo. Okay, so right off the bat, white means you're in business. Mm -hmm. it's coming he's running it's, it's gonna be on the more white the more white the better and I, and and it, it's amazing to me because over the years i've had so many guys that confuse that and they thought that if it was red if they got like if their crunkles were all red or you know that 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 was when it's on red to me red is a very bad bad sign especially if they're red all the way to the top don't to the top not a good thing yeah see and, and and I always assumed again, white, because like white is hot. Like it's, it is white is when you heat up steel or iron is hotter than red. And that's how I always remembered was when it, when it gets white, it is hot and it is on. Well, I, I'll tell you how I remember white every time <laughs> I've seen it. The bird comes in and just beats the living crap out of my decoy. I mean, <laughs> and it's, and those are the ones that are mean. I mean, yeah. those, for me, those are the ones that are truly yep. mean. And when he says white, a lot of times any bird that's coming in is going to have a white spot up on top of their head. But but what Bo's describing right now is when they go white from the snood on top of their head all the way down through their crunkles, and that whole thing turns white, or ninety per, or a lot of it is white. It's it's on. Mm -hmm. It is. And so um, that being said, white. It doesn't matter if he's strutting. Doesn't matter if he's he's half strutting. Full. Usually, is I call it the bowling ball. He's coming. Mm -hmm. Yep. He, chest pout. Here he comes. If we if that bird pops out, and I see glowing red, white, and blue, you have a very good shot. Yelp at him, to you know, and usually he'll gobble. Mm -hmm. Whether or not he goes into full strut, it's going to tell you something though. So. There's three different things you'll do. He'll come out and be all glowing like that. And he'll blow up. That's awesome. You know, there's a good chance he's going to come in. If he goes half strut and you start seeing doop, 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 that's really good. And he's going to he's going to come in because a lot of times you don't see white a ton. I mean, you don't. You really don't. It's it's that main dominant bird. A lot of times it's that runs white. If you see um, him go straight up. You know, it's it's hit or miss. I mean, meaning like, head straight up in the air, pops up. Head he's straight looking up, body straight up, and right. even if he's got the colors. And the, the to me, the snood is significant because if that bird is coming in and his snood is hanging down past his beak, mm -hmm. that's a sign of a of a relaxed, confident bird. He's, As he's, soon, yeah. Go go ahead, Bo. The snood is snoods snoods his mood ring, so yep. I mean just he's if it's if it's not if it's not hanging, he's freaked out. I mean period yes. end of story. And so yep. 
So that shows you how much you're going to be able to get away with too in that blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he comes in looking and he's doesn't have a snood down and he's not colorful and he's not strutting, probably get your bow ready. There's a good chance he's going to come right around the outside of the decoy and you're going to go and stop him and shoot him. Mm-hmm. And if he's coming in full strut, get relaxed, take your time, let him come in, do his thing in the decoy. And if he goes, if he goes straight up even at all, better start getting ready. Mm-hmm. You know, right. right. So I, I've seen it a lot of times where a bird comes in, he's working well, he's either got a lot of white or his red, white, and blue, like you were talking about. And all of a sudden, right when he's getting to the decoys or whatever, whether he catches the blind over there or something, all of a sudden he will stop, head will go in the air, the, the blue and the white will start to disappear, the, the, the entire head starts to get red, snood goes from dangling to pointing up in the air on top of, it, uh, on top of his head. Now, right then, if he's, if he's still got his wings down, if he's been strutting, a lot of times he'll he'll pop up like that for a second. He got nervous about something for a second, but and if, if you're just move. if you're just frozen still and you don't make a move and don't do anything, he'll eventually decide. Okay, whatever that was is okay. He'll go back down into he'll drop into strut again and start doing his thing again. Um, if he puts his head up in the air like that and goes completely red, and then one of those wings flips up on top of his back you he's he's leaving he's leaving now that wing flip is um that i mean that that's that's my take on it um but you're right i i think that when they when when that head goes red that snood points in the air you you need to get ready yeah get get ready to take and don't rush the shot that's yeah. the one thing i'm going to tell everybody on here the bow hunts turkeys don't rush the shot because you're not going to make a good shot on these things You've got to be ready to go. I've I've watched it too many times. I just take your time with the shot, even if he's leaving. Yeah, you know, get in there, take your time, make sure you're in your anchor point, squeeze it off. Because if you rush it and you are off by an inch, I mean, think about all the times you're shooting, practicing, and you just you're like, oh, and you punch it, and you're just not ready to go. You're gonna be even if you're on, you're still off by a little bit. You know, it'll find its spot. And and. I actually really like that shot. Um, the ones that I've had come in, hesitate for a second and turn. They're not booking it out of my set. They're right. walking cautiously and they're just looking okay. over each shoulder, but they're going straight away. And now instead of a dime, I've got 22 inches from their head all the way down to the base of that tail to break that spine and put them on the ground right there. It works. That works great. It does. I, I, um, I wouldn't urge people to, to, uh, make them go straight up, you know, like call at them or move your bow. Yeah, no, <laughs> but if they're, if they're leaving like that, that's a very, very, very ethical shot and it works great. Right. Well, if the, the main point is if you get to, if you get good at reading their body language, 90% of the time you have more time than you think you do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if they're really in, if, if they're in strut, there's a lot of white visible or red, white, and blue. They're, they're, uh, they've, they've got the color. Their snood's dangling. Boy, you've really got time. You've got a lot of time. You can wait for that right shot. And um, the only other thing that I would say is regardless of whether you're in a ground blind or not, make sure whatever bow that you're shooting, you can draw that bow directly back to your nose without moving your bow arm around because mm-hmm. the the b- thing that gets people in the most trouble is when they're when they have to raise that bow arm a little bit to to draw which creates a ton of movement and that's what a turkey's bread and butter is man yep. they'll catch it and you, and you hit the top of the blind yeah, yeah. and yeah that, that, depending that, upon what blind you're in just move out of the move out of the lane draw your bow straight back move into the lane take your time that's that nailed it nailed it right on the head yeah well um guys we're probably uh gonna need to wrap it up now but bo you're getting ready to head out like evan was saying the first stop is florida and what other states are you are you planning on right after that 
Well, I, uh, I went to Alabama last weekend, and then I'm going to probably do Tennessee, North Carolina, um, South Dakota, North or South Dakota, North Dakota, um, Kentucky. I, I mean, I'm I'm not going to go through them all. All the yeah, way until the, the West Coast. Yeah, we're Bo going. Has, Bo has 50 turkey tags in his pocket, so he can't remember <laughs> what states they're all in. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll get a chance either you know toward the end of the season or something like that if we get a break there where we can have you back on and, and, and talk about how things went this year. We'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. I need to go live during one of the, one of my hunts. I'm calling them in. Let's do the audio of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no that, it'd, be, it'd be cool. That would be really cool. Well, man, we, we appreciate your time, Bo, your wealth of knowledge, uh, when it comes to a bunch of different things, but especially bow hunting turkeys. Um, and, uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you next time. Thank you, guys.